Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. The Art History Babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Natalie, and this is the Art History Babes. Feels very weird, um, singularly, but I am joined today by Zach Clark and more lovely artists from our upcoming show. Hello. I'm like the fifth babe these days, I feel like, you know, uh, but I'm Zach Clark from National Monument Press. Um, and yeah, we are joined today by Nikki Arnold and JP slash Josephine Morrison Lands. I think actually that's the name you should go with. Just double down on the names. Yeah. So yeah. you Flash just there. optimize the SEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. Cause let me tell you, Zach Clark useless name on the internet the more words you can put in your name people will find you Uh, that's it your name is not too much name it's not enough name you need more name you should throw josephine in there it's a lot of syllables yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yes you are here with us today for the folks at home um uh, Ginny is not able to join us today. She's busy playing chicken shit bingo somewhere in Austin, uh, drinking Texas martinis, um, <laughs> and had de- technical difficulties. Um, so that is why she is not on this episode, even though this is a virtual realism episode, um, as, um, she has normally been in them as her and I are working on them together. Uh, and so Nikki and JP are here with us today, um, to talk about their work that is in uh, that is in virtual realism that um, will be live by the time this podcast comes out, um, which will be great because the first couple of episodes have been kind of teasers. Um, we've talked about the work that is not um, on the website yet, but um, will be soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, um, Nikki and JP, if you could just both uh, introduce yourselves. Um, where you're at um and also if you could do a little bit of, to talk about the work that you have um included for um for the show sure i can go first if that's okay yeah. um i am nikki arnold uh i am from southern illinois and i am currently in central illinois uh completing my master's degree at illinois state university um, and I am a printmaker, so mostly I do woodcuts, um, but I do dabble in lithography and, and all the other processes, um, but woodcut is, is where my heart <laughs> always goes back to. So um, the works that I have in the show, um, one of them is a, a reductive woodcut, so um, it's, it's seven different layers that I worked on reductively uh and then all of the other ones are are part of my thesis work um and they're just little six by eight woodcuts of my everyday life in quarantine with my family and um there was a time where I had to to come back 
to school and leave my daughter. And so it's kind of documenting uh, this flow of, of quarantine and how that's affected all of our lives. I'm JP or Josephine Morrison Lands, uh, and I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is my hometown. Uh, I've been around other places, but came back here. And um, I work with figurative uh, abstraction, but also realism, figurative realism with abstraction uh, in mostly colored pencil, encaustic, and gouache. And my work is very... um, very much about my experience, just like Nikki's is about hers. I'm, I'm documenting my feelings um, and doing a lot of abstractions that symbolize that experience. Um, just my growing up, uh, changing from girl to woman, having my child, dealing with my relationships. Um, I really gave myself permission the last year to sort of make the work diaristic, which is my new like favorite art speak word, meaning of your diary. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the figures are usually myself or my child or my husband. Um, and then rifts off of that and abstraction about my feelings therein. Awesome. Great. So you, you both, uh, right off the bat touched on, um, why we wanted to have you all on the episode together. Um, that both that being, being moms is an integral aspect of the work you're making, at least right now. Um, and even though Nat and I are both, um, non-procreators at the moment, we are, I, I, I think I can speak for you on this, that we, don't usually give enough space to talk about, especially mothers um, as artists and uh, how even more of a challenge it is to, to make work because um, it's impossible to make work as is. And so this extra thing that's brought in. And so we really wanted to kind of have a space that we could, we could talk about that since that is something you both really lean into as a part of your work. Um, and so um, a question, like one of the kind of first questions I had was, um, uh, JP, I know we're of a similar age because you mentioned it in your bio. Nikki, I don't, act, I, I don't, I don't know uh, where you are in life. Um, so, but still, I was curious um, if you were artists before becoming parents um, and then how that practice has, how your practice has had to change because of it um, was art. I think I know the answer to this, but like, was something, was art something that came out of parenting or like, was your, has your practice had to evolve because there was, it did exist before um, pre having children that got clunky. I think, you know what I was trying to ask. <laughs> Yeah, um, I definitely had a a long run of art before child and was super, um, I was worried about my ability to have enough time and to dedicate to art as well as being a mother, because I feel like, you know, art is its own child lover, etc. And you really have to give it that much space. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a husband and a family that are supportive and understand that like, I have to go to what I refer to as my hole, which is my studio, like go into the hole. Um, but I, I started, I like, I made all these rules for myself while I was pregnant. Like I'm going to draw in my sketchbook every day. I'm going to do these things because I've got to like, keep on top of it once I have a child. And of course, you know, that didn't, didn't happen. I did actually keep journaling though. I didn't do drawings, but I would write in my sketchbook. Um, and, um, and also while I was pregnant, like, I think I'd found out maybe a month or two before this like quote was all over everything from, um, I'm going to butcher her name, uh, the performance artist, Maria Abramovic. Um, and, uh, she had was, I think she was talking about how she'd had three abortions and could never do her art if she had been a mother and you can't be a mother and have enough time to like take your art seriously. And while at the same time, it was just like, okay, whatever. Um, it was like, ugh, like I just, I realized I was getting ready to face all of that and have to say no to a lot of opportunities because of my obligations at home. 
Um, and it was a lot to tackle. It was a, it was an identity crisis for sure. For me, I, I, I always enjoyed art when I was really young and I had dreams of being an artist. Um, and then I came up against higher education and that didn't work very well for me. Um, so I took some time off and I, um, went to cosmetology school actually. And I did that for a few years, but then I think it was about three or four years later, I got pregnant. Um, and that really made me reevaluate what I was doing and whether I wanted to, to stick where I was for the rest of my life. And so when she was really small, I went back to school. Um, and originally I went for graphic design and then in the course of having to take those classes, I had to take like the, the formal art classes again. And once I got back into the fine arts, it was, it was completely over for me. So my, my associate's degree turned into another associate's degree and then it turned into a bachelor's degree. And now I'm here <laughs> 10 years later. <laughs> so um, it, she kind of popped in, in, in the, in the beginning of that story. And so my art career has really grown as she has grown. And I'm so fortunate to have the greatest support system um, because her and my, myself and her father uh, split up. And so that was in 2015. So I've, I've done it for about half of my higher ed trying to do it mostly by myself with help of, of family and, and things like that. And I'm so fortunate because I would not be able to, to be here without them at all. So in a lot of ways, it feels like I owe, I owe this work to them for sure. I feel the same way. Like supportive family has been massive and I could not do this without them. If you're, if you're an artist out there doing the parenting and the art without that, just built-in system like it's so much harder and absolute respect for sure and I think that that system also includes I've met so many wonderful people in my graduate program and they're all so supportive of the fact that that I have a nine-year-old with me so having having that acceptance and having those people support you that that has been so huge that's cool uh uh I'm gonna come. Uh, okay, we still have we still have chaotic Zach. Um, Nikki, we have so many um, mutual print world friends. Um, there are several. I'm like, oh, do you know her? Do you know her? Um, that listening you talk, I was like, oh, we we need afterwards. We need to talk to see if you know some of these people that have. Um, oh. that I know have really similar stories. Um, but yeah, one of uh, Nat and I's mutual friends that we were in grad school with. Um, uh Angela Angela Willits mm -hmm. she she got accepted to grad school and then a week later found out that she was pregnant so actually had to defer twice and so yeah so she came in with a three-year-old I think uh, <laughs> and yeah so she was 41 and had a three-year-old and um had taken a really long time from like earlier school um and mm -hmm. Um, but then also, yeah, her partner at the time, she did a lot of performance stuff and her partner at the time was like doing something weird in the background of every single piece she made. Um, and that, so both of your stories, um, are mm -hmm. familiar to people that, um, are really in Nat and I's, uh, world right now. Um, mm -hmm. and so one of the, um, you know, JP, you had kind of touched on it. Um, and Nikki, it sounds like you you didn't have the same sort of uh having to choose to have a child while working on a practice but um you did kind of touch on that idea of like having to weigh do I want to have a kid do I want to start a family versus have a career um and if um because especially there are I know there are plenty of people that are plenty of faculty members in higher ed that will say the same sort of thing of yeah if you if you want to have a career, you can't have a child. Um, and so um, if there is anything you, um, you know, what making that decision was like, or if there's anything kind of in general you want to say about that. In a lot of ways, I, 
feel like I left out um, <laughs> because I didn't have to make that choice. I just knew that that it was maybe going to be an obstacle and I was going to have to deal with it, but that was where I was at. So if there was no going back. Um, I knew that I had to do it because she would know that I regretted it forever if I didn't. And I just couldn't live with that. So I definitely did. I, I got my tubes tied um, maybe like three or four years ago. And I can admit now, I think I made the right decision for myself. I don't really want to have another baby, but I think that decision was heavily led by the idea that I'll never be able to make it further if I have to go back to, to square one because it's so hard when they're so little to, to find any time for yourself. Um, and I know that that probably isn't, and it wasn't necessarily the case, um, but there was some some leading in that decision, I think, now that I have time to like reflect on it. It was definitely a very considered decision on my part with a lot of like discussions. Um, and I had always known that I wanted to at some point be a parent, but I waited a very long time um, until I felt this void in my life and realized that that was the thing that needed to fill it. I was 33 when I had my son, he's four and a half now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was deeply considered. And like, that's why, you know, I talked about all the like little strategies I was coming up with in advance to figure out how to keep something in my life as I was being turned into a habitat for a small creature. <laughs> and that like really is, you are the log in the, mm-hmm in the aquarium that the lizard is on all the time. <laughs> um, and it's super draining and it's hard to have like creativeness on top of that. Um, when my son was about uh, 18 months old, I got a commission for this massive art installation. Um, and after discussing it with my mother and my father and my spouse, was able to figure out a way to make that happen. And I leaned on them so heavily for that. I think we worked on the the production for about eight months. Um, and it was crazy. It's the most ambitious, biggest project I've ever done in my career. And I, looking back, I have no idea, no idea, honestly, how it, you know, it was just like adrenaline and coffee and beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, when my husband and I have been discussing potentially having another child because which I didn't think I was going to want to do, but because we were able to pull off this massive undertaking and it actually like worked out. And I can see now in the rear view that I was able to keep a part of my identity intact. Um, I feel like it's a possibility for me. And it's just always such a personal thing where you have to decide like, what, what are your priorities? And like, even though we're, you know, discussing that now, it's still scary. And I still him and haw about, giving up my time again. Cause we've kind of like mm-hmm. just gotten to the point where I don't like case a joint every time I walk into it and go, okay, what in this room is going to kill my child. Mm-hmm. It's like in the forefront of your brain before any other thought for a very long time, maybe well, always really they're there in the front. Yeah. And with the nine-year-old, it does get slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always evolving. That's good to hear though. Always. So I was with some friends last night with some female friends and one of them is living with a, her two of her closest friends and her godchild right now who is about two. Um, and she has like a whole new perspective on all of this because she lived with the couple before they had the child and now she's living with them again. And obviously she's getting to experience the difference. And she said something yesterday about um, just like not wanting to lose her identity. And now that being something that she worries about with having kids. Um, And I mean, I immediately just kind of fired back with like, do you feel like you have like having children means you lose your identity? Like, do you think those are synonymous? Um, And she said, no, she's like, I don't think it's necessary. She's like, I just think that you have to be really conscious about it. Um, in order for that not to happen, because if you're not, it can. Um, And 
I was just listening to you guys talk and thinking that it seems like your art practices have kind of helped you. I mean, and there are probably other ways, but like retain a good sense of identity and kind of get to revisit and explore like who you are. Um, and even just like as a form of expression, because I imagine having a small child makes expressing yourself harder sometimes or like how you would, you know, not to a small child. <laughs> I don't even know that there was a question in there. I think I was just like commenting on <laughs> how I like that you both brought up identity in terms of your art practice and in terms of motherhood. Yeah, I, I am wrestling with my concepts of identity and my work already. And like my work was always about like the physical body and then the way that emotions are housed within this space that we inhabit on planet earth. Um, so I was kind of primed for it to not, it'd be an, an inevitable part of the, the process of the work, but um, it definitely helped me feel like I was in control more to be able to use it and test it and, and tackle it head on. And I had a lot of anxiety in the beginning about just how tricky it is to talk about motherhood because it can very easily become so twee and cliche and like Hallmark card E. Mm. Um, and, um, I really love how much, like, especially in the last five years, I feel like I've seen a lot more of like a, just like genuine grungy woman, frankly, talking about motherhood in this really like not frilly way that, mm-hmm. It isn't afraid to talk about how hard it is um, and how ugly it can be sometimes. Um, yeah, which is you know empowering. <laughs> so it's good to know about the bad along with the good. For sure. Yeah, I really identify with what you just said, JP. Um, I think a lot of my work is is trying to to balance my identity as a mother and my identity as an artist. And my identity as a stepmother, because I have a a partner and he has two sons. So (laughs) we're a a very blended family um, and trying to to balance all of those things and and make compromises when I need to. And still allowing allowing the house to be a complete fucking mess (laughs) or allowing allowing the bong to be out. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just... I, I do what has to be done. Um, and I'm not afraid to, to talk about that because I know there are other people out there that are dealing with worse than I am. There are people that are way more marginalized than I am. And I have the privilege to be able to, to talk about these things and not really get reprimanded about them. And I think it's so important that we take that and we really use it. Yeah. And I think there's been a nice shift in parenting as well that's happened kind of within our generation and a little bit before that, where there's more emphasis on a parent being honest about their humanity and the fact that like (laughs) we are, we are pretending to be adults and we are fuck ups too. And here's Mm -hmm. how I just fucked up. Here's an example. Please don't do this. Um, You know, like, I think that that is empowering and it's, frankness and vulnerability. And I want to show that to my child and include him in all those things that I'm going through. And then kind of unrelated, but still talking about this identity thing. Like a lot of what I started wrestling with, with a new body of work and some of the pieces that are in this um, show was the identity of like sexy artist in her twenties. And like, here's my little cocktail dress. And I used a lot of that as power for myself in my, you know, socializing and in my work. And it changes a lot when you are then a mother and you got <laughs> like the body changes are a whole nother, like, we could, you know, a different podcast. Um, but then how that power changes and how I had to come to terms with like redefining that part of my power Mm-hmm. Um, and acknowledging that it was still there, even though like it wasn't the cliche any longer, um, and that it was different and it was connected to this parent thing, which felt so like old or wholesome or, you know, something else, which is not, you know, my, my vibe. Um, 
So yeah, that became a lot of the work was just sort of like coping with my changing um, power dynamic within my own, yeah. <laughs> this show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Kind of steering a little more back to like actual active practice of making. Um, I feel like a question that uh, like, I think a lot of my friends who are parents and artists um, struggle with is how they manage that time management. Um, and so like how, um, you know, what, what does your, what do your studio practices look like? Um, especially recognizing that all of us making art also still have jobs and schools and have to feed ourselves and clean. Um, and you have another thing that's thrown in. And so, um, you know, what does your studio practice look like? Um, and I think that, uh, in general, it's an interesting question for me with one of you being a painter and one of you. And so your studio practice is very different from JP, from Nikki's practice that is in a print shop that is, you know, such a different type of labor. So, um, that's a really long lead up too. I would love to hear about your, uh, your personal practices and how that leads into your unique work-life balance, uh, needs. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> very, very early on, um, really during the, the quarantine, um, I kind of switched to a mostly at home studio. Um, that's why I work at the size that I do. That's why I only print in black and white. Um, the first time when I was proofing the images, um, I was hand printing them at home because I okay. didn't have access. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did that for, for a while. Um, and that, that process just kind of stuck because I was, I was in my home with my family anyway. Um, it was easy to work around them. It was fun because the kids would periodically like look over my shoulder and ask what was going on. And then I'd show them. Um, so it's, and, and all of the materials that I was using are, are okay to use around there. You can clean them up with soap and water. So I wasn't using anything really caustic <laughs> in my home, but it, it did the job and it allowed me to kind of push through um, a time when we couldn't go anywhere, but also I'm, it just fits with my life on the regular because I have to be home for my daughter. Um, I will say that public school <laughs> is a godsend because she just like goes and, and does that all day. And then I get her back and I have all day that I can work on stuff. And that's, when she hit the point where she was going to school all day, that freed up a lot of my time for sure. <laughs> I also practice at home and I, I did before. I've never had a problem like keeping those things in the same space. Um, and 
when he was brand new, there was a lot of just like working on the kitchen table um, and where I could and when I could scale definitely, I think is um, I bet if we looked at all new parent artists, their work would get a lot smaller for, for a few years. Um, and, uh, and so I have a, a little space outside of our house, an extra building. And I, I work from there and my son has his own desk here and he has like a space on the floor where I have a lot of his toys. And, um, he started doing like a, a play school a couple days a week when he was about two, two and a half. Um, and so that gave, that was huge. That was such a huge change to have those six hours twice a week to just not have to be anyone, but not to be with anyone but myself. Um, and then that changed with the pandemic. He just went back uh, in August, but we found a rhythm and, you know, God bless technology. He gets, he gets iPad time. <laughs> I, I, uh, I feel guilty about it. And I also feel incredibly grateful for it. And, uh, and he works on my art with me. Sometimes I've let him draw on panels because your kids want to do what you're doing. They want to be involved mm-hmm. in what you care about. Um, and so that has happened some, the only thing that worries me is that the stuff that he works on with me is like way better than what I'm doing. So <laughs> the concern. <laughs> uh, a, um, another reason that we, that I was, uh, that we were excited to have you both together um, is yes, I've been in Oakland for the last 10 years and I'm, apparently a Californian now, but I am Midwestern at heart. Um, and you are both uh, Midwestern artists. Although JP, I feel like Oklahoma probably has a similar thing to, cause I grew up in Colorado, but all my family's from Illinois. Um, that like, is Oklahoma the Midwest? Cause it's not the South, but it's not the Midwest, but like, but it's not the West either. It's the Midwest, but yeah. it's also the West and it's also not the South, but it is. And it's, yes. It's kind of Texas South, which like, <laughs> Texas is not the South either. It's, it's Texas. It's Texas is Canada. Yeah. Oh. It's not, it's not. We're not as cool as that, but <laughs> no. we're definitely, we're definitely, you know, above, <laughs> above Texas. Yeah. As a uh, Californian, I am loving this geography lesson. This is oh, very man. helpful. Oh, you know, <laughs> so maligned and it's kind of it's you know I think literally it was on the U.S. map for a very long time as no man's land like <laughs> rude before they gave it back to the people who had it originally the native people and shoved some of them there and then decided they didn't want that and like took it back it's a very complicated place um and it's kind of amazing I recommend visiting uh, um, really you really don't know until you come and see and everyone's like I didn't know uh, Oklahoma history specifically is wild, but that as well, another podcast. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so I um, want to talk about the Midwest. Um, and maybe this, I would love to know if you agree that this is a strange segue, but um, I actually wonder if there is something that makes, um, if there's an advantage to being a, um, artist who is who has children while being based in the Midwest because family is so much more a part of the Midwest um, as opposed to like how fast paced and whatever like coastal art communities are and that are rather non kid centric. Um, but I also would just love to know um, if it, uh, JP. It sounds like you have made the decision. Tulsa is home, and that is where you're going to make work. You've left. You've come back. You spent some time in Kansas City, um, and then Nikki. It sounds like you have hung out in the St. Louis, Illinois area, and sounds like that's where you're going to be also. So, um, I would love to know if you have any thoughts, reflections, or opinions about like deciding to be a Midwest artist, which um, you know isn't what art school tells you to do. Um, and that it's a perfectly valid place uh, to be potentially a better place in some scenarios. So yes, another long pitch to talk about the Midwest. <laughs> um, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> I'm going to try and be concise. Uh, Let it out. <laughs> oh, like you said, another podcast. Um, 
cost of living is insane. You all don't even want to know. So that's, that's one thing um, that makes it really a great place to have flexibility in your lifestyle as an artist who isn't going to be, you know, like getting the 401k. Um, and yeah, I made the decision to be based here to be close to my parents. Um, my husband is Australian. So we made the decision that we were either going to be there or here. Um, and we, we do want to be there at some point, but uh, again, the cost of living here is a lot more reasonable than, um, uh, any of the like three major cities in Australia. And, um, so we had the ability to do more as young married people. Um, and there's a, there's an incredible like community and flexibility of, um, you know, we just lift each other up. And I know, like, I know the museum directors in my town because it's That's a town where you can know like the crowd and like, I am frustrated, frustrated about, about wanting to have better relationships with galleries right. that aren't in my area. And I don't know if you can get that without actually forming like legitimate relationships by showing up. Um, but I'm trying to figure that out right now by applying to absolutely everything that the internet offers. Hi, nice to meet both of you. That's why this is happening. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's that's been my strategy is to try and apply for everything and just be strategic and utilize the community that's here and eager. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, I would also say community is important to me. Um, I've, I grew up in Edwardsville in Southern Illinois, um, which is about half an hour from St. Louis. So we were always close to a city, um, which I think allowed me to feel really comfortable um, going back and forth, especially um, the older I got when I was in my like early twenties. Um, and there was actually a print shop that I worked at um, called Evil Prints. Um, and so I spent a lot of time going back and forth um, over to St. Louis. And I, I don't, I don't know that I ever really felt like I was stuck in the Midwest um, because of that. Um, I do really enjoy, we, we drive back and forth. Um, my partner lives in Belleville, Illinois, which is about three hours from us now. So um, we're driving back and forth pretty frequently. And I've really grown to love the landscape <laughs> of Illinois. Um, if you take away all the, the Trump signs, at least, um, got to get rid of those. It does get weird. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's home here. I don't think I would, I would ever go anywhere else because it's where my family is and that, when I was younger, I always had these big dreams of, of going other places, but they they've kept me here and they'll they'll keep <laughs> keeping me here, I think, for a long time. It's interesting because my mom lived in Belleville when she was young. And then when she grew up, she moved to Edwardsville. And now I grew up in Edwardsville and now I've grown up, I've grown up and moved to Belleville. So we've like swapped. <laughs> So being in being in the town that she grew up in is really interesting as well. Yeah. I feel like those parts of the country have that cyclicalness in a like generational way that I, I think mm. is interesting. Um yeah. Um yeah, I we we will probably never move back to Illinois, but um, and Kansas City is always the city we talk about moving to, um, but I don't think that's ever really going to happen either. Um, but that sort of small community, and that yeah, exactly what you were mentioning, JP, of like that being able to know everyone in the community has its perks. Um, like um, you know, I'm not going to the bar with the like directors of the SF MoMA um, probably cause they actually like, you know, live in a mansion in Atherton. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's, that's, my, that's another podcast there as well. We've got like 10 off <laughs> to, uh, 
get together to talk. Now you guys are now you guys are getting it. <laughs> how this yeah, works. Um, I've already been on my like labor and economics uh like soapbox a few times today. So and once we're bringing the fishers in, oh don't get me started. Uh yeah. No, no, I like Nat's uh encouraging face there, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna take the bait on that. Um <laughs> Um, cause then it turns into a baseball podcast and no, and we're not here for that. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm Nick, actually not. Yeah, I'm not here for that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no uh, one's here for it, Zach. You're great. out of luck. Nat, bring, bring, bring us back on the rails. <laughs> back to, back to art. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about some of the specific works if you guys would like, because they are fantastic and so fun and, I mean, I think we've kind of touched on it, but even though thematically motherhood joins you guys, like neither of your work aesthetically screams motherhood. Um, And I love that about it because it, you know, contains layers and um, just want to hear you guys. Yeah. Talk about your work a little bit. The uh, reductive print that I submitted is a project that uh, myself and one of my other printmaking friends, Darcy Edwin, put together um, right after everybody kind of went into <laughs> quarantine. And we wanted to do, we wanted to, to do a print exchange, um, something to kind of look forward to while all of this garbage was circling around us. Uh, and we just had a very rough theme of quarantine. Um, and so I had been kind of, int- I'm, I've always been really interested in still lives. Uh, it was a very huge part of my um, fundamental drawing um, education. <laughs> um, and so I think that's just continued and, and morphed and changed and turned into something that has a little more, um, I don't know, dark, dark humor to it, um, a little more adulthood to it um but I I really enjoy just kind of making a story with this pile of stuff um and I like that it gives the viewer the ability to kind of form their own story I can point them in a direction but I can't unless I unless I write a very detailed artist statement they're not going to know exactly what I mean with every object they can they can bring their own life to it. And I really enjoy that. Sorry, I'm going to ask one quick follow-up of Nikki um, before you mm-hmm. jump in here, JP. If your genre of modern motherhood series makes me think about Hokusai, like, is that um, a compliment or does that make you cringe? No, that's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, like, it, it, I, I, it, it just, it gives me a, like, 36 views of Fuji vibe um, that there are all these like different views of um, your house of the moment. Um, So um, yeah. um, That's what I had to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I won't, I won't take offense to that. That's fine. Um, And then, yeah, JP, if you could talk a little bit about the specific pieces um, that we included for from you yeah um so i'm gonna look with my eyes um all of this works i started this series back in june of 2020 so it's all in quarantine and um i i've never particularly addressed directly what's happening around me without like turning it into a lot of symbolism but i really with this series, I wanted to allow myself to just not, um, to not be so serious and to play a lot more and allow, um, like fun and silly images, um, to come into the work. There are these really bizarre little fish in one of my pieces that are like extruding ham. Um, and (laughs) I, I just followed my nose there without needing there to be a good reason. Um, and so that, that was really empowering to just be like, you know, this is, this is happening and that's fine because 
all this other shit is happening in the world right now. So fine. There's fish and there's ham. (laughs) Love yourself. Um, And uh, so that piece, uh, which is called bottle bond, baby teeth, fish bone, is just like a real expression of the joyful absurdity of what is happening and letting myself be silly on a much more like direct piece. Um, the bruise, the realistic renderings there are my son's hand and my own and his ring finger is bruised in the image that I used. And, um, that happened this April. We were on a road trip from here to Cape Cod where I had a residency. And uh, the night before I was going to leave him and my husband to go to this, two week residency, which is the first time I've done anything like that. He fell out of the hotel bed in the middle of the night and like was bleeding from the mouth and screaming bloody murder. And two in the morning, we're at the emergency room. And and I'm just going, of course, this is happening the day before I go to this residency in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm completely stricken about my own experience. And now here's this layer cake. Um, And so this work I did while I, I did while I was there and just, just sort of observing the um, the moment. And there's this little like uh, ghost issuing from this scene, which is uh, like referencing back to manga and like when you're fainting and come out a comedic way uh, in a comic. And uh, he, he was fine. He got five x-rays on his hand and we went home at like 4.30 in the morning and he, he went, there was nothing wrong with him. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's just... It was just um, a lot. It was a whole lot. And I, and most of the work I made while I was there was about being away from him. Even though I was kind of reveling in it, I was also missing him and feeling guilty the entire time. Um, and this whole like duality of existences is always something I want to explore. And so those are some of the, the ways that that happened visually in the work. I love hearing the story behind that piece. Um, and yeah, uh, your pieces are weird. Uh, and it, it like in the best way, just Truly. like, what is, uh, you know, beautiful upside down, uh, portrait and then like weird, gross neon teeth. Yeah. It's, it's great. Those are the benefit for once of seeing these, um, before, um, we talk about them for once. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really love, I love doing teeth. Um, because they're sort of off-putting and they're super personal and you know have you all had teeth falling out dreams that's there's just nothing that's more cringy and intimate Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also really think that teeth are a great symbol of um like changing development and um becoming like I I saw this diagram from one of those excellent like anatomy museums in Europe that I'm dying to go to of uh like they remove the frontal skull area of a child's skull and you could see all the adult teeth, which are like stacked up above, like going all the way up into the cheekbone. It was nuts. Never forgotten it. I think it's this fascinating, like, like they're, they're, they're in there. They're up in there waiting to come down and be a part of you. And I think that's a really, it just, it's such an interesting thing to think about and, you know, there's a whole other body of work in the show all about teeth as well. Yeah. Uh, Jillian Beer McMaster's work. So mm-hmm. just teeth all around. Teeth. Uh. <laughs> Go teeth. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX is The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
I love uh, encaustic work too. Like it has a very special place in my heart because my grandma, who is like one of my only people in my family that actually cares about art, um, got into encaustic painting really randomly and I had never heard of it. And it's so cool. Can you talk about the process a little bit just for people who aren't familiar? Um, Because I think like looking at your work and kind of having the uh, description, like the explanation of what you were doing will be really helpful for people. Sure. Um, so I started working in it la- last year. Uh, I've always wanted to, and I was very intimidated, but I just like mm-hmm. dove in. It was another great thing about great thing about quarantine. You know, you guys know what I mean, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we do. it is encaustic is beeswax um, and Damar resin and that that is it. And then you add pigment, either you can use powdered pigment, you can use oil paints, um, and you can paint it over the top of other surfaces. So in my work, I do the realism in colored pencil, and then I go over the top of that with clear encaustic. Um, I also do underpainting and gouache, and then go over the top of that with colored or clear encaustic. And then there are just encaustic elements. And it's, um, it's, almost like sculpting with paint because as soon as you have your you're working on a hot plate you melt the beeswax and your palette is a hot plate essentially with either pots or you're just working straight on it and you dip your paintbrush in you put it on your palette and about five seconds later it's completely solid so it's incredibly vexing and obnoxious and I love it Um, and you get all these weird textures and I, I usually smooth everything after the fact I use like a wood stylus to burnish and shape um, the encaustic. So you'll see those marks in the work um, from like pushing it around. And it always has a little bit of a softness to it. It does become more hard, but it is, it has a traumatizing delicacy to it that is real, but also unreal. Like the, some of the oldest paintings that we have from the like Roman Egyptian sarcophagi are in encaustic. Like this mm-hmm. stuff has incredible lasting power. Um, so it has all these really interesting dualities and a, and, a, and a transparency quality that you can play with. It has like watercolor-esque light luminosity to it. I, I'm super in love. Um, and uh, and yeah, so beeswax smells great too. Mm-hmm. And this circles back to something Nikki said about like thinking about things in the studio to be cautious of like caustic wise because your kids are there. That's something I had to consider a lot. And a lot of people will tell you that encaustic is toxic, but if you do it correctly with ventilation and the right heat and you're like cooking oil paint or burning your beeswax, you can, you can go about it that way. Yeah. So cool, man. I just, I'll never get over that medium. I don't think Um, it's just so fun and trippy. And then Uh, Just continuing the process conversation, Nikki, uh, if you want to talk a little bit about printmaking, I, everything I know about printmaking, which is really not a lot, but all of it I learned from Zach, um, (laughs) either in an actual academic setting, because he was my, my TA for, uh, were you you the TA or were you actually teaching that? I think you were teaching it. Uh, I think I was the TA for that one. So you took it when it was with Bryce, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You were just doing a lot (laughs) as TAs generally do. Um, But yes. So please, please, please. Thank you. Sure. Um, So like I said, I do a lot at home. Um, I fell in in love with woodcut um, about five years ago, probably. And so much so that it's it's almost all I <laughs> all I ever do now. Um, it's just the way that my brain translates an an image now. Um, and there's just some I've I've always been inspired by the German expressionist woodcuts because um, they just have so much so such a psychological element to them that I really appreciate. Yes. So I mean, Hollowitz, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can't she's, I can't she's, yeah she has she has my heart forever I was gonna say um, and we're talking motherhood we're talking like wow yeah. yes yeah. how can we not bring her up I'm so glad you did yeah so um she's been 
a huge inspiration. She was actually, I think, in, I remembered this recently when I was in um, my community college art class. She was the first artist I ever uh, looked into and and did research on. And now she's such a, a huge inspiration to to all of the things that I've been doing. So that's kind of a cool little bringing it back around. Um, but I, my, my passion really, I love the black and white woodcuts because they're so simple mm-hmm. and they're quick. It's, I can get one done in like a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but my real passion is with the reductive woodcuts and I can't wait to do, <laughs> to do more of them because I'm, a masochist. Uh, I mean, all printmakers are. To my, and, yeah, and we we are. It's true. Um, <laughs> Might we open that up know. to just artists in general? Yeah. Printmakers yeah, are that's free of, <laughs> of crazy. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. <laughs> I've met a, I've met I've met a lot of printmakers that would also agree with that. Yeah, but we're at least um, thankfully um, we're in a support group because uh, yeah. just being in the print shop requires us to uh, always have to. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about printmaking. <laughs> there's there's just this huge sense of community because you're all just constantly trying to solve problems <laughs> like all the time that's just that's printmaking um but yeah it's just that layering of color I've really been enjoying that I I've always enjoyed painting but I'm not particularly good at it um and playing with color in layers has really like opened the world of color up to me so I'm excited um once I get my thesis work done <laughs> if that day ever comes um I'm really excited to do more with reductive woodcuts for sure. <laughs> um, on your, your color comment real quick. And I, I was in the printmaking department my sophomore year. Um, and then I very quickly dropped out of it and went to the <laughs> department <laughs> because yes, or yes. But all the things you said about the printmakers, I, I have mad respect though. I just like, I couldn't deal with the, the delayed gratification. Um, but so much of my color theory came from that year in the printmaking department and it still informs the way that I choose to combine and layer colors together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mad respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason I love Rizzo so much. Like Rizzo is a very stupid color theory, uh, exercise at all times. Um, and, uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, uh, Nikki, real quick, because you brought up um, that um, your piece essential items is a reductive cut. Just for folks that don't know um, what reductive cuts are, and especially yours. Me, I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's what yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that's what yours was at first um, if I would have wouldn't have seen it without. And so especially your piece is a really beautiful reduction cut. So um, thank you. If, if you could uh, explain what that process is. Yeah, so um, I start with drawing out the whole image, and then I usually give myself some kind of a, a like colored pencil grid, um, and then or or plan to work from rather, uh, and then I put a shellac down on the block and I carve it out layer by layer. So the first thing I'll remove is whatever is gonna be the white of the paper. So on this one, it was like the toilet paper on the screen for the computer back. Um, And then I printed the yellow layer with the white carved out. And then I carve out anything that's going to be yellow. So that would have been like the sunflowers and parts of the the hornets and the honey bear and some of the noodles. And then I printed the next layer in who I can't remember, green maybe. Uh, and then it's just a succession of, of, of carving out the next layer, printing the next layer. So yeah. they're, they're, they're loving. I don't know that anybody calls them this anymore, but when I was introduced to them, they were called suicide woodcuts because that first run that you print, that's all you're ever going to have because you're going to have to destroy that, that block. You're going to have to edit that block to print the next layer. So it's like high stakes woodcut. 
<laughs> kind of. I don't I don't know why I'm like this, but I am. <laughs> I, you guys both kind of touched on that a little bit in talking about process of like liking a thrill element or um, mm-hmm. that risk. Basically, like that seven color piece all came from the same piece of wood that you're just yep. increasingly taking more and more surface off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wild um, <laughs> yeah but it's it's a beautiful piece so thank you, you didn't get there and print making one <laughs> uh, yeah no but, yeah we, we definitely don't reach that point <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So cool. yeah um well uh to respect y'all's time um we should probably uh wrap it up here um and so uh just in closing if there is anything else you all want to say about your work about being a parent about the midwest um etc um uh, feel free to make your closing statement and then also wherever people can find you on the internet or wherever else you want people to find you (laughs) (laughs) my local grocery store no Uh (laughs) um yeah, thank you all so much for giving us a platform to talk about our work in the context of our parenthood. Um, I think that it's important for this to become less of a niche and more of a just basic part of discussing the job. Um, because I think there are a lot of us out there and it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't get um normalized or lifted up, I think, enough. And I I love I would love there to be more opportunities that cater to parent artists. I have applied to a lot of residencies. Um over this last year, I've applied to 67 different things. And some of those were residencies. And very rarely do you find one that accommodates the fact that a lot of artists are parents who have to fit that into their lifestyle. Um, I hope that more of that happens um, in the future. Like there's Roswell. <laughs> yeah. Which is, like, which is a year. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I just want like two weeks. And yes, you can have your family in the apartment with you. Like that would be nice if there were more of those. Um and the, the, there are some great ones out there and they're viciously fought over, um, understandably so. And uh, you can find me on Instagram under JP Lands, J-P-L-A-N-S. And my website is jpmorrisonlands.com. Thank you all for chatting with me. And thank you, Nikki, for sharing your process and art with me in this podcast. Yeah, and thank, thank you, JP. And thank you guys for, for having us. This has been, um, honestly, like a dream come true. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna gush for a minute. I moved for my grad program about a little over two years ago. And when I moved, I started listening to the art history babes and you guys were all like my friends when I didn't have any. So oh, <laughs> this is like amazing. This is amazing for me. I'm starstruck. Um, but, oh, um, so yeah, I would agree with what um, JP said. Thank you for the platform. Um, it's one of the reasons why I do what I do. I've made a very conscious choice to talk about parenthood in my work because there's just not, there's not enough of it. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Um, and I would also say anyone that is questioning whether or not to become a parent and and is worried about losing their identity, I think in my experience, it has only grown my identity. Uh, I don't think it's ever really (laughs) taken anything from it. Um, It's only made it better. So um, that's just my opinion, though. (laughs) No, I Um, love that. That gave me literal chills. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And then my Instagram is uh, narnold underscore prince, N-A-R-N-O-L-D underscore P-R-I-N-T-S. Thank you guys so much. No, oh thank you. Is one of the great handles. I know that is. Thank you. Print, in general, printmakers have the best Instagram handles. Also, just want to put that out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So it's gotten very uh, printmaking superiority <laughs> moment. I mean, that's I'm, that's really all I'm ever trying to do. You know. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm I'm for it. I'm for yeah, you yeah. guys. You, you guys you have the history of art for the people. It's it makes perfect sense that you have good handles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being willing to talk to us and giving us your time and um you know the art for the show. Uh, yeah, you guys are awesome and so is your work. And I'm excited for people to see it. 
Thank you all so much. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Art History Bay. Real quick, uh, for edit purposes, um, JP, I think you're clicking on something that is picking up really loud. I heard that clicking. It's not coming from me, I don't think. So I heard it when Nikki was oh, talking. Is it happening yeah. to you guys while I'm talking now? So I'm not hearing it, and I'm just sitting in a chair. Oh, oh. oh. see, it went away when you were talking for me. Weird. Okay, that's that's kind of why I thought that it might have been you, because it. But no, okay, never mind. I'm sorry to accuse you of such a thing. Oh, no, I, I heard it too, but I, I don't know where it's coming from either. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned okay. it though. Interesting. Maybe somebody has a very loud fan. Uh, I know I have had, oh, in your computer. I've had that as a problem in the past. So never mind. Okay. So I'm going to pause and then uh, Nat can restart her question. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.